Welcome to the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. In this edition, we speak to Mark Stevens from Arakan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ewan Levick. Ewan, how are you doing today? Good, thanks, Grant. Good to be here. Excellent. Well, today we're joined by Mark Stevens from Arakan, who's here to talk to us about private equity and its involvement in the defence industry. Mark, welcome to the show. G'day, Grant. Ewan, how are you going? Not too bad today. Mark, our first question to kick things off is, can you please tell us a little bit about your background from your time in the Defence Force through to where you are now consulting? Sure. So, um, I'm a class of 84 graduate from Duntroon, and uh, when I finished Duntroon, graduated to infantry and spent 10 years commanding soldiers, pretty much, uh, which is, you know, uh, one of the greatest privileges that uh, you can have. I left uh, Defence in 95 and spent a couple of years running IBM's defence business here in Australia and then into Asia. Um, and then in about uh, 2000, started working for myself and I've been doing that ever since really. And in and out of defence industry uh, across that time, but you know, classically at least 50% of our work uh, since the year 2000 has been in defence and with defence industry. But in the last couple of years, it's been almost 100%. Mark, are you able to talk to us about why you established Arakan and what the focus of the company is? Yes, you uh, and look, we, um, so we were, uh, you know, sort of classically sort of consulting advisors for quite a while. But for us and my team, most of them are ex-military and uh, pretty much all of them are ex-army, actually. We just found that the consulting model was a bit hands-off for us. You know, what we weren't the sort of guys you just wanted to be presented with a problem and write a report and walk away. We really wanted to be fully immersed in the business of our clients and help them in a very active way to get really great outcomes into defence. So really, Arakan is the vehicle to do that. So we, we sort of call ourselves activist advisors. And we now we've completed over 250 engagements with Australian defence industry. Um, we're probably the most active uh, defence advisor that you haven't heard of. Um, and um, for a reason, you know, most of our work comes from recommendations from clients uh, to their peers. And uh, yeah, you know, a good day for us is really being working at the coalface with clients on getting them, you know, better outcomes with, uh, with defence. And uh, especially at the moment, you know, with the way that defence industry is, it's a great time to be doing that work and working with some, you know, really fantastic companies. You mentioned that defence industry has grown uh, as a percentage of your overall workload. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that what we've seen in the last sort of three or four years with the government's recommitment around spending and defence is that, you know, we've had a we've had a thriving Australian defence industry in this country for some time, but they really haven't had the market opportunities in defence to fully realise what they're capable of. And, and I think that's now starting to occur or, you know, has started to occur. Um, and so suddenly there's a much greater energy and focus in defence industry. And I think, you know, also the owners of those companies said that the clock's ticking. You know, they want to get into the problems of defence and help them solve them. And so there's, there's just a, uh, you know, I'd say a thousand percent increase in the activity levels in the Australian defence industry. But, you know, the, the challenge remains, you know, how do you engage with the department? And I think that's, um, 
you know, uh, is, is the greatest challenge. And, you know, we're about solving that problem for clients in, in one way or another. Can you go into a bit more detail on how exactly private equity can solve problems in defence industry? Yeah, so we um, did a piece of work for a client way back in 2017 and um, a great Australian company was bidding on a defence project and they came second on that deal to an overseas-owned defence company. And uh, we've been working with that client for sort of over six months and as a team, we really, it was really, it took, it hit us really hard actually. Um, And so... That's when we sort of got it, put our heads together and said, okay, well, we, we, we just need to be far more active in sort of architecting or in driving results for our clients. And so at that time, we did a deep dive on the Australian defence industry and we developed a database, which we still have. We started with 3,000 companies. We're down now to about 530 Australian defence industry companies that we track daily pretty much um so hoover hoover up all the information that's available on them into that database and in 2018 we got a mandate to help an australian company called morand who make the vertical tails for the f-35s um we worked with uh between morand and um we we uh, approached 15 private equity firms to see if they'd be interested in um in investing in morand and we found out some things that were quite surprising. So firstly, that uh, really those firms didn't have a really good understanding about our geopolitical situation. Um, I guess they had the luxury of not having to be concerned about that. Secondly, they didn't understand defence at all, um, nor did they understand the government's commitment to spend on defence. Um, and they certainly didn't have any idea about Australian defence industry. And, and that whole sector was a blind spot to private equity because you know normally they work in utilities or fast moving consumer goods or retail or you know whatever um and so um we eventually started working with champ private equity who are now cpe and it was it was fascinating for me just to sort of go through the process of um, working with those guys it wasn't the first private equity deal that we'd been involved with but the nature of the relationship that we had with the owners of moran made it you know quite a uh, quite an interesting sort of uh, deal and eventually Champ purchased Moran from the family um, and they've now you know, been the custodians of that business for a few years. And what we realised was that there was this massive pool of capital that was looking for a home in really good Australian companies. And um, But because of the nature of Australian defence industry, private equity firms really couldn't really understand what they were doing in a lot of cases. So, you know, you go to them and say, okay, well, this company brand makes fast jet parts for the F-35, you know, like, okay, well, so why is that important, you know? And um, when you realise that brands, you know, supplying those uh, vertical tails and other components for the F-35 program globally and doing it in a really clever way and you, you really start to get a sense for the opportunity. And, you know, so we basically sort of launched this additional focus, which was around... So we, we pre-qualified seven or eight Australian private equity firms. So the, the funds that they have are largely sourced from Australian uh, sources of capital, like superannuation funds, um, for instance. And each fund has a particular uh, interest. So some of them like capital-heavy businesses. Someone want them to be asset light. Some of them like project-based. You know, every fund is different. And so what we did was we started to match those funds to the companies on our database to see if we could make a you know an effective sort of marriage there but the 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 most important component of that 
other than the match was to make sure that if private equity invested in that company, that we'd get a better capability outcome for defence. That was the most critical consideration and still is for us. So, you know, we, we want to get an outcome where that company can become a better supplier to defence, take on larger projects, manage greater risk, have a deeper balance sheet. Yeah, that's the drivers, the driver for that work. And we've got, we've got six deals running at the moment, um, at various stages of maturity. And, you know, it seems to be going pretty well. You mentioned that, um, private equity didn't understand defense and that was a barrier. Can you go into a bit more detail on why you think that was the case? I think defense is opaque as an organization. You know, you know, you, you look at it from the outside and, you know, you've got, you know, people in uniform and there's a, sort of a lot of stuff going on. But if you really look at the business of defence, it, it, it is quite traditional in one sense. So on, on one side, you've got all the normal functions that companies have. You've got, you know, CFO, you've got HR, you've got IT, you've got procurement, you know, um, you've got uh, estate and infrastructure in defence's case, which is property and, uh, at FM. And then you've got the uniform side, which, which we sort of call the fun part with our uh, clients. And so once you sort of demystify the organisation, you can really start focusing on the parts which are relevant to private equity. And those guys are smart, so it doesn't take, uh, you know, it doesn't take a long time. But really, you know, what, what they're trying to work out is, you know, the way in which they engage with that business, it, it, you know, can they get the return on capital that, they're, that they need or that they want in the time frame that they're looking for. And so really it's de- demystifying that part, you know, what's the technology uh, what's the opportunity in defence? What does defence want to do? What are the timelines around that? Are there any adjacencies? Yeah, you know, there are a whole range of different factors that you can think about during due diligence that, that PE is looking for. And so whether guys doing that demystification, if you like, and just sort of turning defence into a business which looks like other businesses and just explaining what the technology might look like. You know, so if you've got someone doing electronic warfare, for instance, well, how do you explain that to someone in private equity, right? You know, so it's you know it's that sort of stuff. I think where we, where, which is our sort of sweet spot, really. Yeah, and on a company like Mirand, which you were just talking about, how does an investment from private equity help a company like Mirand or others that are that are looking to grow? Yeah, it's fascinating, really, and we we're privileged to sort of sit on on one of the investee companies that one of our private equity clients uh, purchased. So it's really great to sort of watch it in action, but. The PE model is uh, is a is a co-managing model. So when you uh, when you take uh, capital from private equity, then invariably they'll take a couple of seats at the table if there's a board or you know whatever the management uh, arrangement is. And so you've really got active managers working with the management team in the business, and uh, invariably the process involves you know identifying in a perfect world what the opportunities for that business might look like. And then having a pretty robust and honest conversation about, you know, how you might realise those uh, opportunities or outcomes, and then all all committing to a plan uh, which might also involve additional capital or um, uh, linking that company with partners or new partners or um, you know a whole range of different factors to enable them to get there as quickly as possible. And it, it is a very dynamic process. It's certainly not. Uh, in the businesses that we've been involved with, anything like the sort of slash and burn model that private equity sort of has been renowned for in the past. It really is, you know, a co-managing model. And, um, you know, I'm enormously impressed by just the way in which that's enacted uh, between the 
uh, investors, a private equity or private capital investor and the business owner or the business management team. And, uh, we, you know, we see order of magnitude improvements just not in the financial quality of those businesses, but in the management quality as well, which is actually a much uh, greater benefit to defence. And I think defence even realises is you've suddenly got these management teams who are uh, super motivated and super capable to be able to achieve those capability outcomes that defence wants. But, you know, it's very powerful. Now, you've mentioned there that um, the group that got into Miranda is still there and have actually taken over. Uh, you've said about how you know, people have the impression of private equity, of, as you said, the slash and burn, but clearly this is not the case. But private equity always has an exit clause. Whenever they go into anything, they always know and eventually they want to get out of it. So how does that work in the defence industry? What are you seeing as some of their uh, exit strategies? Yeah, so... Uh, it, it invariably starts with an understanding about what the time frame looks like. So if you understand the, the way in which PE works, you know, a private equity firm will raise a fund uh, or create a fund and, it'll, and then uh, organisations or high net worth individuals will invest in that fund. And the pitch to those investors is that, um, you know, the fund might exist for 10 years. So, you know, we start, funds are going to start in um, June 2021 and the fund will close in, in June uh, 2031. Um, these are the returns that we're looking for um, out of that fund. And so the people going in there have got a very strong expectation about the fact that there's going to be an exit. And firstly, secondly, if you think about the, the process, you know, you've got to find a company, you've got to do the due diligence, you've got to be comfortable with management, you've got to be comfortable with the market. You know, invariably from start to finish, that can take a number of months or maybe even 12 months to to get that all that work done, so we've got nine years left. So then you do the, you know, you do the acquisition, and you so you you're uh, with the owners um, or the new management team or you know whatever the model is, and there, there are a number of different models. And so you know, really, what we tend to find is that at the lower end, you know, three years is a is a exit time frame. Five years is quite common. We've even had a couple where seven years has been um, the exit horizon, especially for. Companies that are have that are quite quite asset heavy, so it depends. But really, um, it's not as scary as it sounds because every business should have a planning horizon, which is not unlike that. You know, it should have a pretty clear idea about what it wants to be in twelve months, thirty six months, sixty months. And so, really, PE are just sort of you know doing the same thing, but they're doing it with a view to what does the performance of the business need to look like so that we can exit and get the multiples that our investors are looking for. So, um, you know, I don't think uh, the, the process is necessarily all that different, but certainly the way in which PE thinks about these things, I think, is massively advantageous to defence industry because it's quite sophisticated. It, it's it's a multifaceted and it's consistent. You know, um, every week uh, we're having conversations between management and the private equity investors or owners about, you know, what could we be doing this week to help the company be successful and uh, not in a overt way, but just in a supportive way. And, um, you know, I think it's a fantastic model. Um, let's imagine I'm running a company that's looking for investors like Murad, or where do I start in terms of my relationship with PE? Well, selfishly, I guess you could come to us and we could help. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the challenge, I think, for Australian defence industry is that the vast majority of them are uh, small to medium enterprises. So, you know, the whole notion of about engaging with private equity is, is probably a bit daunting to start with. Um, 
So I think that's the first challenge. Uh, the second challenge, I think, is that you've really got to find a fund which likes the sort of business that you are. And you can get an idea from that. So if you go onto, uh, onto the web and, you know, search uh, private equity firms, you will get a sense for the sorts of businesses that they're interested in, depending on, on the, um, assets that they're currently invested in. So that does tend to give you a bit of a sense. But it is, you know, not unlike defence being opaque, private equity is a bit opaque as well. So it's not always just about the fact that they like a particular type of uh, sector. It might be a, there might be something within that business that they are particularly interested in. And um, so with you know, Moran's a good example. Not only did it have you know a very good contract with uh, obviously with Lockheed Martin around the vertical tiles, but a lot of that work was being done in composites. You know, there was some very, very clever engineering being done there. They produced the trolleys uh, that you drop the en- when you drop an engine out of the F-35. They produced the trolley that you drop it on, uh, which is a fantastic piece of engineering. So, you know, there are, it, it does tend to be the nature of the business and private equity will have a particular, either because of the people that are in that PE firm, they'll have a particular expertise or experience which draws them to particular companies or to particular technologies. But at the end of the day, it's really about just trying to find that private equity firm whose fund is focused on the sort of business that you are. And, uh, and every single private equity firm is different. And that, you know, therein lies, you know, the challenge really. Yeah, well, I guess you've got um, private equity firms. Some may be more adventurous, higher risk, but higher reward. For instance, the classic phrase of uh, when you're drilling oil wells and researching, if you're getting a success every time, then you're not really researching. So you may have some, I guess, that are more interested in you know back five, but only two or three work, but they're really good. Uh, do you find that in the PE does link up with defence? I, I think there is an element of truth in that. I think... Part of the challenge is just that demystification about what a Australian defence industry company is doing, though, as well. And, you know, we, we, we've done some uh, introductions for Australian defence industry companies with private equity, where also the nature of that te- technology is quite highly classified. And so, you know, therein there's another challenge about how do you get uncleared people in private equity enough information so they can make an investment decision. So... Uh, in that regard, defence industry is probably a little bit more complex than a number of the other sectors that, or the other technologies that they're looking at. Um, we've got a we've got a process to navigate that now, but uh, you know it is it, it's multi-layered. But at the end of the day, I, I think one of the most important considerations that PE has is uh, in looking at the management team. You know, is that team a team that we can invest in and we can work with to deliver that superordinate uh, result and uh, that's probably where the majority of time is spent is just getting to meet with and work with the management team and then making some decisions about whether that, that's the team or, you know, does it need some assistance? Does it need some supplementation, you know, for it to be um, uh, to the sort of business that it needs to be to, to be able to outperform in, the, in that defence, on those defence opportunities that they're chasing? You've talked a bit about, you know, breaking the stereotype that PE is about coming in and slashing and burning and selling a better balance sheet by bringing in money, by bringing in expertise and that kind of thing. Zooming out a little bit, to me that begs the question, what role does private equity in Australia have to play in developing AIC? So at the moment, there's about $27 billion in uh, dry powder uh, investment funds available in Australia looking for a home. Uh, So you have 
you have that on one side of the of the equation, and on the other side, we've got a level of defence spending which is unprecedented in in any of our memory, and uh, which has a you know quite a long pathway still yet to run with some you know massive goals to be achieved in the acquisition uh, of some incredibly important technologies and uh, and pieces of equipment, and it, it, it seems to me that. At the end of the day, the, the challenge is, well, not so much in the funding from defence and not so much in the funding from private equity, but in the capacity of the group sitting in the middle to try, to try and make that all happen. You know, So defence has an expectation that, which I don't think it necessarily communicates all that well consistently. It's been funded by government to achieve you know, all these outcomes, which I think we're all sort of keenly aware of, you know, subs and planes and uh, you know, Land 400 and, you know, a whole range of different projects. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we, we're not going to get anywhere unless we have that engine sitting in the middle, which can sort of make it happen. And PE traditionally has been very, very good at uh, getting outcomes, you know, in, in driving and achieving uh, results. And so with PE active in the Australian defence industry environment, we're going to get much better Australian sovereign industrial capability outcomes, not just Australian industry outcomes, because Australian PE wants to invest in Australian companies. So that are that's companies owned here, that pay their tax here, and that want you know, that have the capacity to be superordinate as far as their contribution to capability is concerned. And that's why I think PE is such a great uh, opportunity. And I, and I think Defence sort of gets it as well. We, at the beginning of last year, just before COVID, we had a meeting with uh, CASG about private equity. And at that stage, we're on the cusp of uh, of an investment in a great Australian company called Eptech. Uh, Eptech is, has been supporting the Navy for 20 years. They do blast and paint on Navy ships. Uh, so, and they've been doing that for a long time. Eptech, in that 20 year history with Navy, had never had a meeting with someone in uniform. They'd only ever worked through the primes. And so, uh, once uh, Next Capital, who uh, one of our clients, uh, purchased Eptech in August of last year, we went to Defence and said, right, but, you know, uh, we've done this deal. Uh, Eptech uh, works on uh, the Collins program as well as a number of the, of the surface ship programs. And so we said to KSG, look, this, this company's been around for a long time. We'd really like to start having a conversation with KSG around, around Collins sustainment and around uh, the various uh, spos uh, that are working on the sub the uh, surface ship sustainment activities uh, to have a different conversation about how Eptech may be able to add value to capability and it's it's been amazing actually at that result since August last year Eptech's you know work with Collins and uh, with a number of the spos has increased uh, significantly and continues to grow because we're just able to have a different conversation but the fact that we had that conversation was largely driven by PE's interest in helping Eptech be superordinate in its performance. So I don't think it would have ever gone there of, a, of its own volition. It, yeah, they have got a you know a new management team who are fantastic, and uh, the thing is just humming at the moment. Uh, and uh, Navy's actually also commented about how they've noticed a change in the way in which Eptech works uh, with them. Uh, you know, very positive uh, feedback. And for me, it's just sort of the genesis of what we're trying to achieve here. You know, we've got a great Australian company. It employs Australians. It pays its tax here. It's uh, fully committed to Navy's success. 
and uh, it's now got the capital and it's got co-management from private equity helping it to sort of outperform. And, you know, it's a great story. It's often said of Australian defence industry that there's a lot of SMEs uh, and a few primes, which is sort of the hollow middle argument. Does private equity have a role to play in turning SMEs into primes or f- into filling that hollow middle? Yeah, we, we have a lot of conversations with Australian defence industry companies where we sort of say, look, if you were in defence's uh, shoes and you had all this money to spend and you looked out on the Australian industry landscape, you know, how many of those companies would you have absolute confidence in that they could deliver the sorts of outcomes that you need? Right? And the reality is that uh, another, you know, there are a number of them who uh, need to be more mature, they need to be more capable, they need to have a different, be able to have a different conversation with defence. You know, for instance, one of the things that we find with Australian industry is that they don't understand capability as a term, whereas in defence, defence looks at everything through the lens of capability, you know, through the FIC, uh, through the fundamental inputs. And uh, and we saw this with EPTEC where we we, we reorganised EPTEC's thinking and focus through the lens of capability and the fundamental inputs to capability and when we did that, the whole conversation with the client changed. And so, you know, we have, as I said, 530 companies on our database. Pretty much any one of those could be, if they're, if they're already not, and many of them already are super companies uh, in the Australian defence landscape, but there are a heap of them who could be three, five, six, ten, fifteen, twenty 10, 15, 20 times larger than what they are, but they don't have the capacity to, or they, I think they recognise that they can do it, but they don't have the access to the means to do it. You know, capital's one, you know, management is another, you know, the, the, the thinking, the structuring, um, the energy, it, it's, that's what they lack. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find those fantastic companies and get them to understand what the opportunity is by having access to this uh, supercharged capability and what it could mean, uh, you know, uh, for their for their business. And um, you know, for some, it's a very easy conversation, but for others, it's quite difficult. And because at the end of the day, and it's symptomatic of the history of Australian defence industry in this company, in this country. Sorry, you know, people have a lot of them have been in the Australian defence industry for twenty years or more. And when you've sort of had the the nature of that relationship with defence that it has been in the past. It's very difficult to sort of to quickly reorientate yourself to this new, uh, new, new, you know, environment. And I think I still think there is a bit of suspicion in Australian defence industry about whether defence is genuine about, you know, how it wants to transact. Uh, we certainly see that defence is absolutely committed to getting the best Australian industry that it can get. But defence can't do the work that Australian industry wants it to do. And in many respects, Australian industry can't do the work that Defence wants them to do without someone like PE or ourselves or someone else sitting in the middle trying to make it happen. You know, and I, and I think that's the value of the model. Uh, it's not just about capital, but capital is important. So, Mark, one last question for you: What role does defence itself have to play in growing Australian primes? So, one of the really interesting things about defence industry globally is that in, in many of those countries that we would sort of view as being like us. Uh, as far as our, uh, the quality of our defence force is concerned and, and the sort of country that Australia is, many of those companies have their own uh, prime, prime systems integrators that they not necessarily favour, but they, you know, support in an active way. You know, if you look at 
Italy, it has Leonardo and uh, Fincantieri. You know, Spain has Navantia. The UK obviously has BAE, Babcock and Rolls-Royce. And uh, Sweden has Saab. Uh, Singapore has STA. And, of course, the Americans have, a you know, uh, the US has a heap of them. Uh, we have them too in this country. So, you know, uh, principally the two biggest are Austal and Downer. But neither of those businesses have the sort of relationship with government and with defence that those companies that I just spoke about have with their own defence forces and their own governments. And I think it's such a missed opportunity for us here in Australia because, you know, Austal is a fantastic Australian company. You know, it's our only Australian shipbuilder. Its facility in Henderson in WA is now totally dedicated to the business of defence. Um, it's our largest defence exporter. It, it's, a, it's a massively significant contributor to shipbuilding for the US Navy. You know, all of that profit comes back to Australia, yet they're not supported or the conversations with them aren't the way that they would be between uh, Fincantieri and the Italian government or Leonardo and the Italian government. And, and we know that because we've had Leonardo as a client in the past. So, we, you know, we've seen that uh, in our up close. And Downer is the same. You know, Downer, is a, Downer is a massively capable business. You know, they are above and below the line with defence because they're, they're part of the MSP uh, panel. But there's so much more that Downer could be doing for defence if uh, defence was able to have a different conversation with Downer given that they are a local Australian business. And, you know, I think that, you know, part of us being a truly or, or realising the full extent of our capacity to be an independent sovereign nation as far as defence is concerned is about, you know, over-investing in those primes and making sure that they are super successful because they'll then, in their own right, create these Australian ecosystems, you know, which can then do these you know, significant projects for defence. And, um, you know, we always sort of ask the question, even though the, you know, the scenario is completely un un unrealistic, but, you know, if we were to go to war with the US or with the UK or with the Italians or the Swedes, you know, at the end of the day, what would happen with those companies? Yeah, they would, of course, they'd back their own countries, they'd back their own defence forces. We should be asking that question of ourselves as well, you know. So who's going to be backing us, you know, in that situation? Who can we absolutely 100% rely upon? You know, and we would suggest that it's the Austals and the Downers and the EOSs and the Xtechs uh, and the CEAs of this world more than any other Australian industry company that uh, you might choose to think about or talk to. Well, I think on that note, it's a great point to uh, put a fork in this one, as they say. Uh, Mark, that has been a fantastic discussion and uh, really like your uh, look into how we can build more Australian primes and so on. Uh, definitely an area we need to uh, sort out here in Australia. But Mark, thank you very much for coming on the show. You and Grant, thank you very much for, for your indulgence and your time. Uh, I wish you well. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ewan. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, listening to another episode of the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with more great content. But until then, have a great day. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yeffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence, or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au, or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au.
You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.